You ever use these two words? Show me. Show me. Like, like when your friend comes back from fishing and they say, I caught a fish this big. And you go, how big? And they go, this big. And you say, show me. Let me see. We also use those two words when someone tells us how to do something. And if you're like me, I get lost after the first, just the first two or three words. I'm, somehow I've got this memory problem that's like instantaneous. Seems like I've always had it. I stand from where I'm sitting to get up and do something. Anybody there with me? And I stand and go, why did I stand up? Or you, I get upstairs and I realize I can't remember why I'm here. And so I have to retrace my steps, go back to where I was, and look at the things that I was looking at for some cue. And usually I get that cue, not always. And then I remember what I was doing and I write it on my hand. And then I walk upstairs. But when someone tells me how to do something, usually I'm like, just show me. Show me. Right? We're going to John chapter 20 this morning. John chapter 20. We've seen in our recent studies, Jesus, Jesus has been crucified. He was dead and buried. And on the third day, praise God, John tells us, that he and Peter and Mary Magdalene all came to the grave looking for the dead body of Jesus rather than the resurrected Christ, and they found an empty tomb. We noted last time what John saw. He saw the empty grave cloths, those strips of cloth that had been wrapped around the torso and wrapped around the limbs of Jesus in preparation for burial and placing in the tomb. And what John saw was an empty tomb and empty grave cloths. We noted last time that John John saw those things, and it says in the text that when he saw it, he believed. Then we saw that Jesus spoke to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. How gracious of Jesus to appear to Mary Magdalene. And when she saw him, and when she heard him, she believed. And what did she do? She went. She went quickly to tell the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Until she saw him, she still thought Jesus was dead. So some of Jesus' disciples seem to need to see in one way or another to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And in fact, in a text before us that we're going to look at in just a moment, one disciple will say, show me, show me. I'll believe it when I see it. What's remarkable to me about the passage that we're going to look at in just a moment are the demonstrations from our Lord Jesus Christ of patience and grace 
and mercy from his followers who say, show me, or act like they need to see to believe. You see, Jesus knows his disciples need to be shown. They need to see to believe. Obviously, by what we will hear from Jesus in the text, not all need to see to believe, but there are some who do. And some of his closest followers didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead until they saw him themselves. So I want to look together at the remaining verses of chapter 20 in John's Gospel, beginning at verse 19. And I want you to note with me what Jesus shows his disciples. What is it Jesus shows his disciples that we see in the text here before us? What is it Jesus shows his disciples then? And what is it that we can see that Jesus is showing us as his disciples even now that we might believe? I mean, that is the purpose for John's sharing in this gospel. He's made that clear, and I have pointed to it many times in our studies here in John's gospel, that we would see the evidence, that we would see Jesus and believe. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And verse 24 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus could have raised from the dead and ascended to the Father straight away. But he didn't. He was patient. He was gracious with his followers, knowing that some of them would need to see him to believe, to believe that he had truly risen from the dead and was alive. But I want you to note here that as Jesus appears to his his disciples, he is doing more than simply showing himself to them. And that is how God works. He is always doing more than we can see. First of all, I want you to note with me that Jesus shows them proof of his resurrection. John tells us in verse 19 that it was on the evening of that first resurrection Sunday that his disciples were gathered together. And the mention of disciples here suggests that it's more than simply the apostles. Otherwise, John might have said the apostles. He doesn't. He says the disciples... The disciples were gathered, and so it's likely the, the apostles, and we know that Thomas isn't there, so it's at least ten of the apostles and, and likely other followers of Christ, other disciples. And they are locked up behind closed doors. It says here that they are they are locked up behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. After all, their teacher, Jesus, had been crucified And it's possible in their minds that they were next. And for the purpose of showing us that the resurrected Jesus was not restricted in movement in any way by closed and locked doors, John points out that Jesus came, he just simply says, Jesus came and stood among them. So here apparently are the ten apostles. Thomas isn't yet with them, and likely the other followers, uh, several other followers of Christ, gathered in fear. And Jesus gives them this overwhelming evidence, this powerful evidence for them to believe, so that they could be shown that he had risen from the dead. There's no mention of a knock on the door. Jesus doesn't need to knock just that he came and stood among them. And so that they might be certain that it was really Jesus, verse 20 tells us how gracious of Jesus. Verse 20 tells us he showed them his hands. Look at my hands. He showed them his side. These are the nail-pierced hands And this is the the spear-pierced side of their beloved Lord, Jesus Christ. He has indeed risen from the dead. Praise God. And their precious response is also seen in verse 20 where it says, Then, I love this, then the disciples were glad. No kidding. No kidding, right? 
I mean, how subtle, John. Come on. You know, they were glad. No, they were charismatic, right? I would have been, praise God, look, Jesus. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Oh, how gracious of Jesus to prove to them he had risen from the dead. But that wasn't all. Later we learned that when they told Thomas, I mean all of them, they told Thomas that they had seen the Lord, he he wouldn't believe them. What's wrong with you, Thomas? I mean, listen. Listen to the other apostles, right? Listen to the other witnesses. And we can hardly think of Thomas without thinking of him as Doubting Thomas, right? We think of Thomas, we think doubting Thomas. And we see why here in verse 25 when it says, unless I see his hand, in his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I And this is powerful. I will never believe. And we say, what's wrong with you, Thomas? What's wrong with you? Why won't you believe? I mean, look at all the witnesses. Why won't you trust them and believe? I mean, go look for the empty tomb yourself, Thomas, and believe. That's what we would say. That's not what Jesus said. And that, I think, is instructive. That is so challenging to me. Because sometimes I just want to, pardon me, but I just want to shake some people by the shoulders and say, why don't you believe? Right? You ever feel that way? you got people in your life you've been witnessing to for years. Why won't you believe? That's not what Jesus said. It's in verse 26 we see how Jesus patiently went out of his way to show himself again to the disciples. But this time, apparently, it was for the benefit of Thomas. John says in verse 26, look at it, eight days later. I mean, could you imagine going for eight days with all the others telling you, he's risen, he's risen indeed, believe, eight days. One commentator I read this week suggested that there's a reminder here that we need one another and that it's possible that Thomas was somewhere else for eight days because how could he go for eight days and not believe the others saying again and again, he's risen, he's risen, believe. I don't know if there's anything to that. Certainly a good reminder that we need each other. That God made us a church, the body of Christ, under the head Christ, right? And we do need to be together. Thomas needed to be with his brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if he wasn't with them for those eight days. It's hard to believe that he was there the whole time and still not believing. But his statement was strong. I'll never believe unless I see and touch. So again, they're behind locked doors. But this time, Thomas is with them. And Jesus comes, and again, it just says he comes and stands in their midst. And this time, Jesus speaks to Thomas 
directly saying, put your... I love this because Thomas now knows Jesus has been listening. (laughs) He knows what I've been saying in his absence, so to speak, right? Jesus says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Oh, so once again, Jesus shows himself to his disciples. Once again, he proves that he has indeed risen from the dead. Once again, he gives reason for faith and hope and encouragement. And Jesus says to Thomas and all who read this today, do not disbelieve. John says it later, all of these things and many other things that aren't here so that you will believe. Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And John even says in verse 30 that Jesus did these things, many, many other things. Could you imagine if these things had been written? Wouldn't it have been great to have volumes containing all the things I mean, that's the way our human mind kind of thinks, doesn't it? I think, boy, it certainly would have been nice, John. Come on, give us some more. But Jesus says, do not disbelieve. He's given us what we need for faith. Do you realize that? God has given you his word. It is what you need. Don't question whether or not there's enough there for you. When you start reading, you'll find out there's more there than you can handle this week. He's given you what you need. It's in His Word. And it's by His Spirit He opens your eyes to see and believe and behold His truth and obey. So don't disbelieve. Don't wish for more. Even though John hints at there could have been more had we gone on to write about all the things that Jesus did. Jesus showed himself. He showed himself. The resurrection of Jesus is foundational to our faith, isn't it? And by God's grace and wisdom, Jesus showed himself. And his disciples saw, and they recorded, many of them recorded for us in God's word, God's inspired word. For us to behold, to see, and to believe. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational to our faith. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, then we are wasting our time. But he has risen. So don't disbelieve. Right? Believe. So as Jesus says, believe. Now I want you to note also there's something else Jesus shows his followers. Something we ought to be thankful for. A precious reminder here. Jesus shows the way to peace. Did you hear Jesus say it in the passage when I read it? I heard it three times. He shows the way to peace. He doesn't just say, I'm going to give you peace. He says, here's, here's, the, here's the way. 
He's given them reason to believe, right? His physical presence. He's given them reason to believe in Him. He's risen from the dead. He's shown them Himself, miraculously so, and even without knocking on doors, I'm guessing, because it just says here in the text, He stood among them. See, the physical presence of Christ brought peace to their hearts, I'm sure. I mean, think of it. They were holed up for fear of the Jews. They were you know, wondering, where is Jesus? They had heard the testimony of Mary Magdalene. They were believing that He had risen, but they're still afraid of the Jews. The physical presence of Christ had to bring peace to their hearts. In fact, it's the first thing Jesus says when He appears in their midst, right? Peace be with you. And then in verse 20, we're told that when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. He showed them Himself, which was one way in which Jesus showed them peace. I think for His followers on that day, this was God's grace and mercy to show them peace that they could not come up with in their own strength. They did not have peace until He arrived and said, Peace be with you. What could be more assuring to them than to see Him, right? Risen from the dead. Walking, living, breathing, touch the hand, see His side. And when they saw Him, they were glad, no doubt. And they were experiencing a great measure of peace at having seen Jesus. I mean, think of, think of how it is for us in our human emotions to deal with the with being apart from someone who's very dear to us. And and we're apart for a period of time, and then we come together, and there's there's peace that's indescribable because we're finally together. We finally, finally see one another face to face. I have to believe that's how Jesus' disciples were feeling when they saw Him. He gave them peace by His physical presence. Now maybe that has given you an opportunity to think about, but what about us? (laughs) What about us? How are we to have peace in this life? I thought you said Jesus shows the way to peace. He does. Keep looking. We can't see Jesus but we too are to look to Jesus. And I'm telling you that we best do that when we believe in Him and we look to His Word. We look to Him by looking to His Word and believing in His Word. God has been so gracious to give us His Word. It is for our faith. It is for the strengthening in our walk with Christ. When we look to Him by looking to His Word, believing it and obeying it, God is good to give peace. Amen? I hope some of us know that feeling, right? The the one that goes beyond all understanding, the peace that passes all understanding that's ours, because as we rest in the promises of God's Word and we take steps of obedience, He brings peace. And we're not quite sure how that happens. (laughs) But that's okay. 
because hopefully we see the evidence in our own lives as we obey. See, often for believers, the Lord brings the peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. So often we don't understand how we've found peace in the midst of difficulty, but we should begin to recognize what God is doing as we take in his word, as we trust in his promises, as we take steps of obedience. And he brings peace. When we're faithful to walk in obedience to his word by faith, he is faithful to bring peace. His peace is ours. It's his promise. Jesus promised his peace. And when we believe and obey God's word, he brings peace. But think about something else. How are we enabled by God with courage and strength to walk by faith? I mean, we're asking something quite large here, aren't we? Take the word of God, believe it, Obey it. Walk by faith. The answer is seen, I think, in verses 21 and 22. Jesus knows that he will soon be leaving his disciples again. He will soon ascend to the Father. So again, he says, look at verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then, I believe Jesus points to the way in which they will be empowered by God to be at peace and to carry out the work that he is commissioning his followers to carry out. Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this might be a bit confusing here because we know that in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes on believers. Some have said, well, this is Jesus giving the Holy Spirit to his apostles. I would argue against that. I don't think this is when the apostles and the other disciples received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit because after this, they're, they're unchanged. It wasn't until we see the Holy Spirit come on believers in Acts that the apostles are, are most definitely changed. This event gave them peace. This event brought encouragement to their hearts. This event brought faith. But beyond that, there wasn't much more change than that. So what I think is happening here is that Jesus is pointing them to the way in which God will empower them when they receive the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered to obey. You will be empowered to walk by faith in obedience to God's Word. So take the Holy Spirit. Trust in God's Word. I think Jesus is pointing to the way in which God will empower them and all believers for the work which he is giving them to do. Jesus is commissioning them. He said, the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm going back to sit at the Father's right hand. You're going out to the world. But I'm not sending you alone. I'm going to send my spirit. Peace be with you.
And this is how God will work his peace in the hearts and lives of believers in great measure by the Holy Spirit's power as we listen to his word and take steps of obedience and faith. And so Jesus has graciously shown them to the peace that would be theirs. He tells them once again of the Holy Spirit's power. I mean, he's been telling them again and again about the Holy Spirit's power that will come on them. And he's not scolding them, much like we would. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Where did the disciples go when they hauled Jesus off to torture him and crucify him? Where did they go? To the winds, right? They scattered for fear. Jesus doesn't scold them for this. He says, peace be with you. How gracious and loving of Christ. Listen, Jesus doesn't work his work to scold you for your sin. He wants you to be done with sin. And he empowers you by his word and his spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh by his power, not your own. He wants you to confess your sins, right? He wants you to be done with them. He wants you to repent and turn from those things. But he is not to, not here to scold you. We don't see it. He's not scolding the disciples. He shows them the way to peace. He tells them about the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, Jesus shows the plan. He shows the plan to his disciples. We heard it in verse 21. In verse 23, when Jesus said to them, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. See, the Father had sent the Son on a mission, and now the Son is sending his disciples on a mission. And this mission, just in case you're wondering, is for not only his disciples gathered then and there, but his disciples gathered here and now. This is for his disciples of all time. And again, as we see in verse 22, disciples of Christ will do this work with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not sent empty-handed to work in our own strength. When we begin to work in our own strength, we find that we start to rest on human wisdom, don't we? And we become very pragmatic about what works, what doesn't work, what, what can we make work, right? God's all about living by faith walking in obedience to his word because that is what works. And whether we we see the changes that God is working or not is beside the point. God is at work. In the lives of his people, he is at work and he calls on his people to go and spread the gospel and share the good news of the gospel, right? Right? But you're not going to go in your own strength. You're going to go in the strength of the Holy Spirit and with the wisdom of the Word. And so he says in verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And be careful here that we don't think Jesus is giving them the power to forgive or not to forgive. The idea here is that just as was true of Jesus' own ministry, they would encounter people who would believe And when they expressed brokenness of heart for their sins in a faith in Jesus Christ, the apostles and the disciples of Jesus could confidently say, God forgives you. 
But just as Jesus encountered, there would be those who would hear the truth and reject it, refusing to repent and believe. And to them, the apostles and disciples of Jesus Christ could confidently say, God has not forgiven you. You remain in your sin. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? You see, the Lord does the forgiving and believers are messengers. We're messengers of the truth. That's what Jesus is instructing his disciples with here. This was the same message that Peter preached to the men of Israel in Acts 3, in verses 18 and 19, when he says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. You see, that's the message that we share with the world. Repent of your sins. Turn again. Turn from your sins. Turn to Christ in faith that your sins may be blotted out. That is still our mission. If you are a disciple of Christ, I trust that you gathered together today because you realize that is your mission and you came here because you want to continually be equipped and encouraged to go back out those two doors this morning and share this message with the world. We are messengers of Christ, and those who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can assure them God has forgiven their sins. But no such assurance can be given to the person who refuses to repent of their sins and will not believe in Jesus Christ. There's one more thing Jesus shows here, and I think we've been seeing it. But let me just remind you, Jesus shows patience. Patience. How quick we would have been to be done with Thomas. Oh, doubting Thomas, I think we're done with you. But not Jesus. He patiently brings him along. And think of the grace of Christ toward the little faith and unbelief of his disciples. On the third day, what were they doing? What were they looking for? They were looking for a dead body. They weren't looking for the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They wanted to honor him, but they did not believe that he had risen from the dead. And when he saw Jesus, Thomas saw Jesus, when the disciples saw Jesus, when Mary Magdalene and the other disciples saw Jesus, what was it? They did. They believed. But it was, it was only then. They, they had to see first, right? They were saying, show me. When Thomas saw Jesus and touched his hands, touched his side, May I suggest that he was no longer doubting Thomas? Could we start calling him believing Thomas? You know why I say that? 
In verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, Do not disbelieve, but believe. And here are the words that spring from Thomas's lips. My Lord and my God. That's a believing Thomas. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your God? I would suggest that there is no greater confession and statement of faith than this. My Lord and my God. Can you declare that today faithfully? I'm not asking you to say that out loud. God wants to hear that from your heart. Can you declare that today truthfully? My Lord, my God, you understand what that implies. It implies that you are submitting yourself to His authority in your life. You are partaking of the grace and mercy He has shown you through Jesus Christ and His shed blood for you. But you are submitting to His Lordship that you will, you will humble yourself before His holy and written word and you will do as He commands. Not sinless this side of heaven, lest you think I'm suggesting that. But walking in obedience. Because you see Jesus and you look to Him and you say, that's my Lord and my God. Sadly, there are so many who refuse to make Jesus their Lord and their God. And we don't know who will believe, do we? Jesus says, I'm sending you. Go. Tell the good news. Live the good news. Share the good news. And though there are many who refuse to make Jesus their Lord and their God, there will be some who believe. And praise be to God that just as Jesus points to the faith of Thomas because he had seen and touched the risen Christ, that verse 29 is a reminder to us, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Look, look at all that Jesus has shown you in his word. What blessings are yours if you will believe? What wonderful blessings are yours when you make Jesus Christ your Lord and your God?